Well, thanks again, guys. I, you know, as we sang that last song, I'm reminded that Jesus is just as risen today as he was three weeks ago. He's just as risen today as he was on Easter. And sometimes we think, oh, we've got to celebrate the resurrection on Easter. And my thing is, hey, we ought to celebrate the resurrection all the time. Because every other leader, every other religious leader in the world is bones in a grave getting dusty. And our God is alive. And so thank you. I'm, I'm, I'm just, just really thrilled to be before you guys this morning. Uh, this week, I was able to travel to Indianapolis, Indiana to go to the Gospel Coalition National Conference and uh, was a huge blessing. I just want to thank you as a church for providing for the pastor in such a way that I can go and be refreshed and, uh, and, and come back hopefully a better pastor, uh, a better, ultimately a better uh, follower of Christ, a uh, better husband, father, and, and pastor. And I uh, just want to thank you for that. Had the opportunity to hear some really good teaching. And uh, also, I brought back a bunch of really great resources, and some of those are available to you. Uh, put them, they're out there, I think you heard about it earlier, but they're out there in the foyer for free. And uh, you guys can take those and use those to help with your spiritual growth. I love to give books away to people, and so uh, they're out there. Take them and, uh, and read them, use them, and if it's beneficial to you and you want to pass it on to somebody else, that's awesome too. So uh, anyway, those are why they're there. You know, I heard David Platt speak. And they left David Platt. He's fairly well known. Uh, we just went through a Bible study of his with the men's group. And they left David Platt for the last session on the last day, right before lunch. So they just, you know, you st- he starts at 11, and you get out at noon, then you go eat lunch and leave town, right, for this conference. And Platt gets up there and he says, I, well, he says, I don't have three points today. And I don't have five points today. My sermon today has 25 points. And you know those people who are waiting to catch flights were like, I'm never going to make it home. I'm going to tell you today, I do not have 25 points. <laughs> I've got three main points this morning, so let's, let's dig in. You know, when, uh, when John D. Rockefeller died, one man was curious about how much Rockefeller had left behind, and he was determined to find out, so he, he set up an appointment with one of Rockefeller's highest aides, and he asked him, how much did Rockefeller leave behind? And the aide told him, all of it. See, we may amass earthly treasures, and they may leave us while we're still here, but for sure, when we die, all of our earthly treasures will stay and be lost to death. Now today, as we jump back into the greatest sermon ever, that's our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, not me talking about my sermon this is our journey through the Sermon on the Mount. We, we come today to the topic of money. Now, one author rec- reckons that 15% of everything that Christ said relates to the topic of money. And if you're the mathematic type, that's actually more than all of his teachings on both heaven and hell combined. So we could say that his teaching on money is very important. Now, over the years, pastors have sweated over preaching about money because there's this perception uh, with some people, you may have heard it, the church just wants my money. Um, But good news for you, I'm not scared of talking about money. And you know this because I've already preached about it once when it came up in a passage we were talking about or when we were in uh, in a series talking about it. But there's this perception But with this great concern, this perception, comes really one of our first fallacies that we believe when it comes to money. And that's this, 
That's the belief that all of our money or any of our money is actually ours. In reality, all of our money, all of our possessions is not ours, but it's actually God's. And he's given us a stewardship, a trust of using it here and now for his glory. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be in verses 19 through 24 this morning. And we could have, I could have actually lumped many more of the verses following this passage together, but we're going to divide them up in the interest of being able to hopefully do justice to the, the whole of Scripture here. But Matthew chapter 6, we're going to read verses 19 through 24. So if you've got your Bible or your device, go ahead and pull that up. It'll be on the screen as well, and let's read together. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Jesus, as we come, I ask that you'd take my preparation and uh, my words, God, and you would use them for your glory. I pray that if there's anything that's just of me and my own uh, personality or my own opinion and anything that is not of you, that you would just strip it away. God, that you would speak through your word to your people, that I'd be able to make the meaning of your word clear and show how to apply it in our lives. Holy Spirit, we know you're here because your people have gathered, and we pray you would move in our hearts and you would change us, make us more like you. God, I pray, truly, Jesus, you would be big here, that I would decrease, that you would increase. You be honored and glorified in this place. You speak to your people this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now the first kind of section of this passage, verses 19 through 21, act as a hinge passage, okay? It acts as both an illustration of the previous passage by explicitly stating the priorities that we found in the disciples' model prayer or what we refer to as the Lord's Prayer that Jesus had just taught and it, and it illustrates those priorities that are explained or that are, that are given and shown in the Lord's Prayer. It's the wisdom of pursuing the treasure of the Father in heaven rather than the foolishness of storing up temporary riches or treasure here on earth. Again, where moth and rust destroy, right? Where Wall Street destroys, right? Where, you know, uh, it, it is about chasing after the eternal rather than the temporary. It both illustrates this, and in the same passage, Jesus transitions to his next topic as he's teaching about whole person righteousness, and he he transitions to teaching about our relationship with money and possessions. And, 
And I think if we were to boil it all down, it's really a question of allegiance. Where is our allegiance to whom? To what is our allegiance to? Now, most of us in the room would say, well, it's to God. Um, But sometimes our lives tell a different story. See, money and possessions have a crazy amount of power over our hearts. Trying to serve both God and money will split you in two because you'll not be wholly serving both. You can't serve both. You cannot serve money and still be wholly serving the Lord. The danger of prosperity, as someone wrote, is simple. It binds us to the world. Prosperity leads us to think that we have found our place in the world. Of course, the reality is that the world has found its place in us. I mean, that stings a little bit. Now, what this is not saying, it's not saying that it's bad to have money, okay? It is saying that it is bad to be ruled by money. Instead of you being a good steward of what God has blessed you with, whether that's $2 or $2 million, is when we get that twisted and we begin to to serve the money rather than serving the Lord. I, that, that, that last line that he said is, of course, the reality is that the world has found its place in us. Instead of us finding our place in the world, the world has found its place in us. How thin a line that is sometimes between us, uh, oh, we found our place in the world, and when in reality we're, we're deceived into thinking that, and the world has found its place in us. Let, let's go on. As followers of Christ, we live in this world, but our eyes are to be set higher on the world to come. Our priorities are to be in line with Jesus' priorities. We're to treasure what he treasures, okay? It is important to provide for your family. I'll say that as well, okay? This is not about living as a pauper and not making any money. That is not the point of what we're talking about here. It's our priorities and treasuring what Jesus treasures. So we're going to break up this passage in order to kind of help us understand and see how this plays out in our lives, We're going to break up this passage into three imperatives that we can walk away with, that we can put into practice in our lives. And here's what they are. So if you want to, like, like, spoiler alert on the notes, here's what they are. Store up better treasure, pursue the better way of life, and serve the better master. First one that comes up is store up better treasure. You know, in life, we're constantly confronted with choices, As soon as we walk down the road, you find a fork in the road. You have to make a decision about which way to go. This is an important point to understand. Because you can store up treasures on earth as your focus, or you can store up treasures in heaven, but you don't get to do both. There are options. You get to make a choice here. Are you going to be someone who's devoted to storing up riches in heaven? Are you going to be fully and totally devoted to storing up riches on earth? It's an important point to understand. It's an important important choice that we must make. When Jesus says not to store up for yourselves treasures on earth, the verb he uses is in what we call the president, excuse me, the president, no, not the president. We're not going to talk about him today. The present imperative tense. The present imperative tense. In this command, he's telling us to be constantly vigilant to continually and constantly not be storing up 
treasures on earth because earthly treasures lack any kind of staying power. They will be destroyed by moth and rust. We cannot protect them from thieves who break in and steal. And so putting our hope, placing our trust in earthly treasures is always going to lead to disappointment because they won't last in eternity. Charles Albertson once interviewed a guy named Cecil Rhodes who had, who had built a vast empire in South Africa. And so he was congratulating Rhodes and he told him, he said, you ought to be happy. And Rhodes replied, happy? No. I spend my life amassing a fortune only to find that I've spent half of it on doctors to keep me out of the grave and the other half on lawyers to keep me out of jail. Because earthly treasures are fleeting. You know, several years ago, this is appropriate, we've got a couple folks who are getting ready to get married. You know, several years ago when I went into Zales jewelry store and bought that size three engagement ring, I know it it wouldn't even fit up to my first knuckle on my pinky finger, right? And I bought that size three engagement ring. It was precious. It was beautiful. I didn't want anything to happen to it. And then one night, I gave it to Bethany. And after the projectile tears, and she said yes, it became precious to her. She protected it. When, when she, as the boys were growing up, as she would make bread or do something messy in the kitchen. She'd take it off, and she had a little ring thing to put it on where it would be protected. But someday, she's going to pass away, and that ring doesn't get to go with her. Okay, it may not fit anyone else on earth, but it won't go with her. It stays here. She values that ring. And, and on our wedding day, she actually gave me a ring too. It was a gold band like this one. Notice I say like this one. I thought it was precious to us both, and it was. You can imagine my concern when one day, as a youth pastor, I had my youth group out on the river, and we were tubing down the river, okay? If you don't know what tubing is, it's where this thing we did in Iowa, where you'd get an inner tube, and you'd go sit in the river, and lazily float along for a few hours, okay? We had a great spot to do it. I won't go into the whole details, but it's awesome. And it was free youth group activity. You just took your kids and did that. Maybe fed them bologna sandwiches. I mean, that was it. It was, it was great. Okay. I didn't have to use a bunch of budget money. It was great. So imagine my concern one day as I'm tubing and I go through what I can only say and describe as a rapid, but it wasn't that rapid. Okay. We're in Iowa. Okay. We were not in Colorado. All right. Uh, and I go through this area, and my tube kind of gets stuck a little bit, and I feel all of a sudden, it's not there anymore. And I look down, and I freak out, and I get up, and I am like Gollum in Lord of the Rings, like looking through the dirt for the precious, okay? And I can't find it. It's gone. And you know my students were real helpful in encouraging me that I wasn't going to be dead when I got home. (laughs) So I was a little worried about telling Bethany about this, but I got home. I manned up, gentlemen, and I told her, said I lost my wedding ring. It, It came off. I couldn't find it. You know what she said? She said, that's okay. We're still married. 
She didn't put the value on the earthly thing, but on our commitment and our marriage in the Lord and not some physical, symbolic trinket. Because you see, what you treasure shows what you place value on. What you treasure shows what you place value on. Charles Quarles said, in the Sermon on the Mount, the actions that are specifically described as accumulating rewards include suffering persecution for Jesus' sake, loving one's enemies, generous gifts to the poor, fervent and sincere prayer, and humble fasting. Jesus tells us these are the things that are worth treasuring. These are the things that are real and of lasting value. So we must ask ourselves, where is our treasure located? We have to ask whether our treasure is safely and securely in heaven or unsecure on earth where it will never last. To what we treasure shows what we value. But also, that which you treasure reveals something. It reveals what is truly in your heart. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I think, honestly, I had heard the song, there's a song that basically, those are the lyrics to it, by this Irish Celtic group, Iona, that I heard years and years before. And it kind of follows me every time I, I, I read or preach on this passage. But that which you treasure reveals what is truly in your heart. There's a passage in Scripture in Matthew chapter 19 that illustrates this, that shows that what we treasure reveals what's really in your heart. There was this guy, and you might know him if you're familiar with the book of Matthew, you might know him as the rich young ruler. But in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 30, it says this about this guy. And behold, a man came up to him. Okay, let me stop there. Came up to Jesus. Jesus is who we're talking about, just in case that isn't clear, okay? Uh, But it will be. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. The rich young ruler, this young man, comes up to Jesus and wants to know, what, what do I got to do to be saved? What do I got to do to be perfect? Jesus is like, well, keep the law. He's like, well, I, which ones? And so he lists them. He's like, I've kept those. Did, did you notice that he was totally lying about that? There's no way he had kept all of them, right? But Jesus tells him, go and sell all you have. Give it to the poor. Why does he pick that thing? Because oftentimes, here's, here's, here's what happens, and it happens time and again. Oftentimes, you've got something in your heart that you treasure more than God. Don't be surprised when he comes after that. See, this young man treasured his position, his, his, his wealth, his, his standing. And when he was told he needed to give it up, it showed that in his heart he treasured that more than following the Lord. Because that's what he valued. That's where his treasure was. A basic truth of Christianity is that our heart, or who we really are on the inside, the seat of everything we are, should belong to God. He created us in his image. He redeemed us in Christ on the cross with the shedding of his blood in our place for our sin. And he was raised from the dead for our justification. But here's the thing. When you or I love anything more or put anything over and above Jesus in our heart, it is adultery of the heart. Our hearts whore after the world. It's idolatry. John Calvin said the human heart was a factory of idols. We, we just keep coming up with new things to worship. Just as soon as we knock one down, so we make up something else to worship. Don Carson said, it's a poor bargain which exchanges the eternal for the temporal. Yet we do it all the time, don't we? Why do you think Jesus wants us to constantly be not storing up treasures on earth, but to be storing up treasures in heaven? Thomas A. Kempis is, is one of my old dead guys, okay? He's, he's quoted as saying this, Use temporal things, but desire eternal things. You cannot be satisfied with any temporal goods because you were not created to enjoy them. Even if you possessed all created things, you could not be happy and blessed. For in God, who created all these things, your whole blessedness and happiness consists. Use temporary things. That's fine. And I would even say they are good gifts of God for you to enjoy, okay? You have a car, use it and enjoy it. It's a blessing from the Lord, all right? But don't store up on earth and, and placing all of your attention, all of your energy, all of your hope in that which is temporal. Enjoy it, be thankful for it, but place your hope and store up the things, do the things as your priority, which are eternal. Point number two. So you're like, we're only on point number two? 
Our next main point to put into practice is this. So, choose a better treasure, pursue a better treasure, pursue the better way of life is number two. Pursue the better way of life. Store up better treasure, pursue the better way of life. Just to be clear, sometimes Jesus' teachings can be hard to understand. I don't know if you've experienced that reading through Scripture, but I have. That you're reading through and, and Jesus will say something, and you're like, wait, what? Lord, you've got to help me understand this. Sometimes his teachings are vague on purpose to make the hearers and, and us Think about what he's saying. Sometimes it's because there's a whole gap that that happens where we live in an entirely different century and culture. And the section in verses 22 through 23 of Matthew chapter 6 can be like this. I want us to understand, though, that in these, and and let's just just read 22 uh, through 23 real quick just to refresh our memory. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? And that's an exclamation. How great is the darkness? Not a question. I want you to understand that light represents good and darkness represents evil. And some of you are like, yeah, no duh. Okay? But I... What we want to pursue is the better way of life, the light. And Jesus does this elsewhere in Scripture where he uses light and darkness to go after what we love. In John three nineteen through 21, he says, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. I've seen this illustrated perfectly for 15 years while I was a youth pastor. That Nobody wants their darkness, their evil deeds to be exposed, right? They, they feel, and if there's someone who knows right from wrong, who knows what it is to follow God, they'll feel especially convicted, we'll say. They might say guilty. I saw this as a youth pastor all the time. All of a sudden, young lady, young man disappears from youth group. They were coming faithfully, helping lead even, and all of a sudden, they're gone. Six months go by, haven't seen him, run into him. Hey, how you doing? You coming? Yeah, I'll, I'll try and come. Yeah, yeah, no, I don't see him. A few months later, they show up, they're hanging out outside. You start talking to them, you find out, yeah, I've been partying. Yeah, I was with this girl, or I was with this guy. Yeah, we're, we got into some things that we, we shouldn't have been into. And Yeah, well, I didn't want to come to youth group because, you know, people know. So we should pursue the things of light, not the things of darkness. The things of darkness don't want to be exposed to the light. We should pursue the things that are light and are good. Well, how? What do do we do about that? How do we pursue the better way of life? Well, first, be singly devoted. 
have a single devotion. That doesn't mean being devoted to being single, okay? So, so what I'm talking about. I'm saying be singly devoted. Have a single devotion. Have your eye fixed on Jesus, the true light, and be devoted only to him so that which comes into the body is light. Don't get blurry vision by trying to focus on two things at one time. That's not going to work. The good eye is fixed on God and fixated on him. And this kind of person doesn't get distracted by everything else that the world has to offer them. This person is generous with their treasure because they're not storing it up for here but in heaven. Who knows that it's okay for me to be generous because, number one, I'm not taking any of this with me. And what really matters is how I steward it, how I live in relation to the Lord. So be singly devoted to the Lord. Don't try to split your devotion. Secondly, guard against self-deception. Here in verse 23, you find the opposite scenario of what was in verse 22. Instead of the good and healthy eye, we find the bad eye. And if you're attracted to and looking at the wrong things, then you've got the bad eye. Quarles again notes for us, when greed forces out any trace of inner good and only evil remains, the inner person is indescribably evil. The greedy person's corruption is complete. No room remains for God or pursuit of the kingdom and its righteousness. Guys, greed is insidious. And it captures as part of, like, why in the qualifications for elder pastors, right? For we're, we're to not be lovers of money. Because it's so easy for it to grab a hold of your heart and control you. If your eye is bad, you're going to be full of darkness because you're focusing on the wrong things. James Boyce stated it very simply. I love a nice, simple, clear-cut statement. If you are absorbed with money, you will miss everything else in life that matters. If you're absorbed with money, you'll miss everything else in life that matters. If you're absorbed with money, you're going to work your job so much, you're going to pick it over your family. If you're absorbed with money, you're going to not give your money willingly and generously and liberally in the way that Christ Uh, describes in scripture to the work of the Lord, to uh, serving the poor, to, to helping those who need help. If you're absorbed with money, you'll miss everything in life that matters. And here's why, because you only have room in your life for one master. So point number three, serve the better master. Serve the better master. A mark of a disciple of Jesus is that their eyes are fixed on heaven and not earth. It's single spiritual vision. It's also serving the right master. In Don't Be Anxious, John Piper says this so beautifully. He says, There is something about God and money that makes them tend to mastery. Either you are mastered by money and therefore ignore God or make him a bellhop for your business, or you are mastered by God and make money a servant of the kingdom. But if either tries to master you while you are mastered by the other, you will hate and despise it. This is why Jesus said it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Much money makes a cruel master. You can only serve one master. You can love one, but you'll hate the other. And if it tries to 
elbow its way in while you're serving the other, you're not going to like it. Guys, God and the world are never going to agree. Can I just say that again? God and the world, meaning the culture of the world, the way of the world, the, the hopes, the desires, the wants of the world, and God are never going to agree. And it doesn't matter how much we try and negotiate our lives, you cannot serve both masters. And a divided allegiance cannot be in the kingdom of God. It's just not possible. You cannot submit to two kings. You can't obey two presidents. You can't worship two gods. You can only serve one and hate the other. You can only serve one master. So choose today who that is that you're going to serve. Is it God or money? Because you can't have it both ways. And if you try, it'll destroy you. You can only serve one master, but secondly, you can only satisfy one master. See, the issue isn't on a dollar figure. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about, well, he makes more money than I do, or she makes more money, or they make her. I don't. It, if you're pointing fingers at other people, you're already doing it wrong. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's not about what kind of car you drive. It's about what controls you. What or who do you live for? If your obsession with money increases, then your passion for God will decrease. Worshiping the God of money will only take you down. And here's the thing, though, and I alluded to this earlier. Most of us today, watching online or here in the room, would say out loud that we do not worship money. But, if we crack open the checkbook registry, or log into our online banking, and we take a look at what we spend most of our money on, and and what our giving to the work of the gospel and the needy looks like, Sometimes we we might find a different story is told by our checkbook than what we would tell with our mouths. When we look at our motivations for the way we work and how we spend our money and our time, we may find a different story. But let us not be self-deceived, friends and family. Let us make sure that we are fully devoted, that our allegiance is to one master God and not money. Money did not see you when you were dead in your sin. Money did not come to earth 100% man and 100% God and step into the death sentence that you rightly deserved and absorb the wrath of God on your behalf on the cross. That wasn't money that did that. That was Jesus. And it wasn't money that was dead for three days and raised by the power of God. That was Jesus. Jesus took the wrath of God that you deserved, that I deserved. Jesus forgives our sin. Jesus is the risen Lord. And Jesus deserves all of our allegiance, 
all of our service, all of our glory, and all of his money to be used in his way. But sometimes, instead of worshiping God, we worship ourselves and our own desires. I made a statement a few uh, weeks ago. I'm going to make the same one today because it's something we use in, in biblical counseling to get to the bottom of, why do I do that? Like, I know I should do this, but I do that other thing. And the question is, why do I do that thing? Well, here, here it is. We do what we do. Because we want what we want. Because we worship what we worship. Your actions will be dictated by what you worship. So here's the question for us today. What does a life look like when it's more concerned with God's glory and the gospel than money? Now I'm not advocating you... uh, you know, not taking care of your family or anything like that. You should 100% be doing that. You're called to do that in Scripture, actually. So if you're not doing that, you're not doing what you're supposed to do. All right? But what is a life that's more concerned with God's glory and the gospel than they are with money, that's not serving money but serving the Lord with full allegiance? What does that life look like? Well, D.L. Moody, who some of you are familiar with because, you know, Moody Institute's over in Chicago, D.L. Moody told the following story. He said this. He said, I remember before the Chicago fire. That's how you know it's D.L. Moody and not me because I was not around for the Chicago fire. But he said, I remember before the Chicago fire hearing of a minister coming up to see his son. He found him completely absorbed in real estate. You remember before the fire? No, I don't, but thank you. You remember before the fire how everyone was mad about real estate? It was a mania with all of us. Chicago was crazy for real estate before the fire. If we could get a corner lot, no matter whether we drew ourselves in debt or smothered it with mortgages, we were confident that in time when prices went up, we would make our fortune. I'm glad that's not like we are today. Or is it? This minister came up, and when he saw his son, he tried to talk about his soul, but it was no use. Real estate was there. He talked about real estate in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night. No use of trying to talk of heaven to him. His only heaven was real estate. The son had a boy in his store, but he being absent, the father was left to mind the business one day. When a customer came in and started upon the subject of real estate, it was not long before the minister slipped off and was speaking to the customer about his soul and telling him he would rather have a corner lot in the New Jerusalem than all the corner lots in Chicago. And the people used to say that no real estate could be sold when the father was around. The trouble was that the son had real estate in his heart. That was his God. He lived to pile up earthly treasures while his father lived as a pilgrim and a stranger here with a knowledge of his treasures in heaven. If we have anything in our hearts which we put up as our God, let us ask him to come and take it away from us. I'm going to invite Colin and Megan to come back up and and in a minute we're going to sing a song. Song of response. But before we do that, I I want to uh, sort of challenge you in something. Okay? Because there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of absolutes in this, uh, which is good because 
absolutes are like a real and legitimate thing. You're going to serve God or you're going to serve money, and you can't do both. The Scripture says that. So if you get mad at that, get mad at the Bible. But don't be mad at the Bible. Here's this challenge. I say, I believe we must participate in a painful but a necessary practice, and I don't think it's a one-time deal. I think we have to continually be doing this. So I want to challenge you to do this this morning. Examine your own heart and your spending and see what it is you're truly treasuring. And if in doing that you find anything in your heart that you've set up as a God, then ask the Lord to come and take it from you. Now I want to tell you, it might be painful. When God comes and takes that thing that you've set up in his place, it might hurt. You might suffer through it, but it's for your good. It's for your good. We must repent of trying to live a double life, of serving both God and money. It's sin. It's sin, and we need to repent of it and believe the good news that Jesus, who died for all of our sin, died for that sin too. Would you stand with me? I'm going to pray in just a moment, but before I do, I want to tell you the Bible is always the best commentary on itself. And when the Apostle Paul writes in 1 Timothy about the issue of riches, I I want to end with this because it's a good commentary on Scripture itself. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, and it says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Friends, take hold of that which is truly life. His name is Jesus. Let's pray. God, as we come to this time of responding to you, Father, I pray that the call of our hearts, the cry of our hearts would be, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, if I've got anything in the place of you, come and take it. Father, let me live with open heart and open hands to you and to those in need around me. Help me be dedicated to the the work of the gospel. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would be known for our service to you, our devotion to you, and that maybe no real estate be sold around us, but the treasure in heaven is built up. Jesus, call us out in our sin, convict us, and bring us quickly to repentance so that we may live in your joy and your victory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing one final song together.